The Word of God promises that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Just as today, we're living in a world of sin, rebellion, and evil, but there's never been a better opportunity to share the gospel. And God promises us comfort even in the dark days ahead. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I'm Christine Darg, willing myself by faith to rejoice and to be glad in this new day because there are extraordinary opportunities for the gospel as we see the day of the Lord's coming approaching. I have a very simple question today. How did you start your day? What was your mental attitude? One of faith or weariness? I'm reminded of that question on the occasions when I listen to a popular talk radio host in the United States. His name is Rush Limbaugh. Rush has the most listened to radio talk show over the internet in the entire country with an audience of over 50 million radio and podcast listeners. It's a three hour talk show five days a week and many people won't miss it because Rush Limbaugh is a tonic of optimism. But Rush, who is now 69, was diagnosed a few months ago with stage four lung cancer. And that's almost a death sentence to many people. But he has been approaching this challenge in his life in a very positive way. He's had to excuse himself for days at a time from the radio program for specialized treatment at hospital and he is reasonably honest with his audience as to how much he is enduring the treatment and the subsequent side effects, but his attitude stays amazingly positive and upbeat. Listening to his tone of voice, you would never detect that he's ill. And he starts almost every broadcast now by saying how happy he is just to wake up in the mornings and find himself still to be alive. And so that brings me to wonder, what sort of mornings should we have? Do we wake up with a positive mental and spiritual attitude ready to face the world? Or do we reflect the attitude of Eliphaz, one of Job's so-called comforters in the Bible, who said gloomily in Job chapter 5, people are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Well, I won't deny that life is filled with lots of challenges, struggles, problems, hurts, pain, disillusionment, despair, and let's face it, for all of us, many disappointments. Life can just make us weary. There's the constant tensions of what's going on in politics, the continual flood of sensational and often fake or distorted news coming at us from all sides. It can be downright wearing. Also being told to wear masks, 
coronavirus lockdowns, people are on edge by social distancing. More than once, I've been told by strangers that I'm standing too close to them or that I should be sure my nose and not just my mouth is covered by a mask. People are just tense and fearful. As for our normal distractions, like meeting up with friends or going out to eat or watching sports, many of them have been taken away for months on end, and many questions remain. What if there is a vaccine? Should we take it? Will it be safe? Will it be sinister? Will it be part of some government conspiracy to monitor our lives? Or are vaccines just part of big farmers' way of making more money? Who can we trust in our governments? Can we trust spokesmen and scientists in the medical profession? Can the media be trusted? And it's very possible that you woke up this morning having had that sort of weary and uncertain emotions as you faced another day thinking, how am I going to survive in this world with all of his troubles going on and the annoying people around me? Or in some cases, you might suffer from just the opposite loneliness from not being surrounded by people. And then there are all of the other stresses in the world in general these days. Finances, trying to make ends meet, family quarrels, job concerns. It can be hard to know where to turn for comfort. Thankfully, most often we turn to God and hopefully he's not our last resort although many people make God their last resort. But if we're facing a physical illness or if we're recovering from an injury, or perhaps a loved one is facing the last days of his or her life, we can thank God that we have so many verses in this Bible to cling to. One potential attitude you may have as you start your day is going to be one of simply exhibiting a stiff, upper lip, trying to endure life. Or it can be with the attitude, I'm just happy, like Rush Limbaugh says, to be alive. I woke up this morning, I opened my eyes, and hopefully the sun is shining. No guarantee, of course, of that in the UK. But let's say it is sunny outside, and in spite of all life's little frustrations or big problems, life is feeling rather positive for you. Can we have that approach? Is there something to look forward to? I'd like to look at the experience of Paul today because he was ministering tirelessly all over the area that today would be known as Turkey and Greece. And he spent some of his time divided between the city of Ephesus, which was a major city at that time, and it was a major center of the false religion of the Diana cult. And it was a struggle to establish a Christian fellowship in a city that really tried to stage a riot against Paul and his ideas and his teachings. And while he was doing all of that in Ephesus, Paul was also trying to encourage and build a church in this very worldly center of religious cults. But meanwhile, the Greek port city of Corinth was a hotbed of wickedness, greed, and lawlessness, just like today. And Corinth was not only very secular, but Paul had to compete with false pagan religions and encourage his fledgling congregation to be 
biblically grounded there. Paul had spent some 18 months of his life ministering in Corinth to build a fellowship. And then after going back to Ephesus, he heard reports of immorality going on in the Corinthian church. So he wrote a letter to confront that problem and other issues facing the congregation. And then he received further reports of trouble. There were divisions among the members of the church, just as there are many divisions going on in the churches today. This is all sounding so familiar. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, which today is known as his epistle of 1 Corinthians. He had sent his co-worker and spiritual son, Timothy, to Corinth to get a first-hand report on the situation there. But it was soon evident that the biggest problem facing the fledgling church membership was false teachers, false apostles who began to confuse the Corinthian church by challenging Paul's authority and challenging his teachings and outright deceiving the Christians of Corinth and trying to turn the congregation against Paul. Even today, due to the internet and so forth, churches have multiplied conflicting voices, bringing confusion, if we are not grounded in this word of God. So when Paul learned of these troubles, he temporarily abandoned his ministry in Ephesus to travel back across to Corinth. But it was not a very successful visit. Theologians call it Paul's painful visit. And you'll find the account in his letter known as 2 Corinthians. If we think we've got problems, we just haven't walked in Paul's sandals. The struggle that Paul had to contend with was the lack of respect and loyalty. And have you ever suffered from disloyalty? I think we all have, and Paul had plenty of it. So much lack of respect is in society right now as well. Well, Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthian church, which became known as his severe letter, in which he was really expressing his heartfelt pain and how he had been misrepresented and treated by the church. We know much about this today because Paul described the situation in his epistle, 2 Corinthians. And Paul was really struggling because he had constantly to defend his authority and his apostleship. His spiritual authority to teach the gospel should, of course, never have been in doubt because he actually experienced a face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Lord Jesus who commissioned Paul on that famous road to Damascus. And he had other reasons to write the letter because he needed to confront those false teachers who were misleading the church. And confrontation is something we all have to do from time to time. We just can't shy away from it, especially when Jesus warned that deception would be the number one characteristic of the last days. And so we know from the letters that Paul wrote that his third visit to Corinth turned out to be successful in the end and that he was able to restore not only his reputation, but the membership of the church. And he resolved many disputes that were going on and he confronted some of the actual sin in the congregation. Do we confront sin in our congregations today? It's a question to be asked. Well, if we think we have problems, 
let's consider Paul's catalog of trials that he gave us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he was defending himself against the usurpers, the false teachers. He said that he didn't like to defend himself, but he had worked harder than they had worked. He had been put in prison more often. He had been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. He said five times the Jewish leaders had given him the 39 lashes, and three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Think about this. Three times he was shipwrecked, and once he spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. He had already traveled on many long journeys, facing danger from rivers and from robbers. He said, I have faced danger from my own people, from the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from false brethren who claim to be believers, but are not. He said he had worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, often hungry and thirsty, and he'd gone without food. He had shivered in the cold without enough warm clothing. Then, besides all of these trials, he said he had the daily burden on his heart, his concern for all the churches, which never left him. Well, we shouldn't be perplexed when we see people who have been raised up by God, whether they are ministers of the gospel or public servants, receiving a lot of opposition and even hatred. This morning in prayer, the Lord reminded me of the poem, the author is unknown, called When God Wants to Drill a Man. And it goes, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed. Watch God's methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into shapes and forms of clay, which only God can understand. While man's tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, yet God bends but never breaks when man's good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses. And the poem goes on. My point is, everyone who is uniquely chosen by God, either for public service or for full-time ministry, will be liable to suffer God's preparations for that calling. There are no exceptions. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians, because Paul is revealing himself in a very straightforward and very personal way in sharing his heart and emotions. I'm going to turn to the 2 Corinthians and it begins in chapter 1, where it says, Paul, an apostle of the Messiah Jesus, by the will of God, and also his co-worker, Timothy, our brother. I'm writing to the church of God in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole region of Asia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul begins a world of contrast for us because he's going to talk about both suffering and the Lord's comfort. Do you need the Lord's comfort? Hallelujah. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are being afflicted with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Messiah are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Messiah. But if we are afflicted, Paul said, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we all suffer. Knowing that as you are sharers of the sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, please notice that the word comfort or comforting appears in this passage seven times in seven verses. But another word that repeats itself is affliction, which is mentioned three times, and the word suffering is mentioned three times. This is because in the world we are promised tribulation, but not the great tribulation. But we will have trials until the time of the rapture or until our time on earth is finished. So there's about an equal mix between comfort and suffering. There's a balance in these verses, just like life. Now, this is where Paul's letter becomes a brutally honest confessional with verse 8. He said, For we do not want you to be unawares, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. But we were so overly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. In fact, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, that's a powerful admission by somebody with such spiritual stature, even the great apostle Paul, that all the discouragement, the stress, the struggles, the problems, the hurts, the pains, the disappointments were just more than he could almost bear. But then Paul goes on in verse 9 to say, but that all of these things happen to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul felt pushed by circumstances almost to the point of death, but then he fell back on the great gospel promise that God raises the dead. And then he goes on to say that the Lord delivered us from great peril and he will yet continue to deliver us again. So there's the encouragement Paul finally finds in this bleak outlook that he has on life in which he's been enduring in the midst of his church members who'd been turning against him. Yet in spite of all this rebellion and criticism, Paul was able to find comfort. And comfort is a word that's found in many places in the Bible. You see, in Messiah, we have peace and comfort that the world simply cannot understand. For example, let's consider the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus promised all believers, he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. And then in chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus promises further. He says, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will do what he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And I said all these things to keep you from falling away. 
Well, we may think that we have troubles, but in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul has been brutally honest with us, outlining the sufferings that he has endured, the troubles, the attacks that have come upon him almost to the point of death. And I'm wondering, have you ever been that discouraged? You can imagine the discouragement he must have had in those turbulent times. But in his distress, he found what we can find, comfort in the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and trusting in God. Because if we put the trust in ourselves, we'll fail. There's no provision for us to trust within ourselves. But instead, we can trust the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to the point and this is a wonderful confession of Paul, that God's resurrection power will enter into our situations. And that's just proof of God's unimaginable power. For example, can you imagine how disappointed Mary and Martha were in Jesus when he didn't show up to heal their brother Lazarus and Lazarus died? Yet Jesus waited. He held back from coming, not to perform a healing, but a resurrection. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Today, let's have that same kind of faith that Abraham had when he believed God, even to the point when he thought he had to sacrifice his son, Isaac. But Abraham didn't despair of life. He put his trust in God because he knew that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. And we know that God honored Abraham's faith indeed. So now at the end of this epistle in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, Paul gives us a great benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Today I want to thank God for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, even when we are abandoned by everybody, we have his fellowship. Each day we have to deal with various personalities, what sometimes we call office politics, if you work for a corporation. We have in-laws and neighbors and even trolls to deal with on the social media. So we all need so much wisdom on many levels every day. And we can understand that Paul was having to deal with personalities, with people who were deceptive, who may have lost their way spiritually, and they weren't quite sure whose authority they should believe, whose word is the word of truth. There was confusion. In other words, there was deception in the church of Corinth back in the day of Paul. And the threat of false teaching, of false apostles, false doctrine, has woven its way through the church all these centuries, even especially up to today. Well, I began the program asking the question, what sort of attitude shall we have to start our day? Are we joyful to be alive? This week, I watched a video of one of the preachers that we listen to regularly, and he said that we must make the life and teachings of Jesus the very foundation and cornerstone of our lives at the beginning of our day. It is our relationship with him that should undergird all of our efforts throughout the rest of the day. As Paul wrote, no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid by Jesus the Messiah. 
So speaking practically, what is your foundation? What is or what should be the most important moment of your day? The one thing that you do that serves as the foundation for everything else. And I'm convinced that it is the moment in the morning when we go into our room, when we close our door, and we pray in secret. For it is in that moment that we are the most honest with ourselves. And it is in that moment when we're the most conscious that our life is not our own and that we must have a word from God for the day, some encouragement, some comfort, some solid direction, some exhortation for the day. And to have that comforting relationship with God, we must meet his son, Jesus, who has freely taken on the sins and punishment that we deserve. God's free offer through Jesus is to grant us forgiveness for our sins. That's something we can ask the Lord and something that we should be considering right now if we haven't done so. Because remember, Jesus was sent by God to pay a debt that he did not owe because we owed a sin debt we could not pay. So I want to invite you right now to come before his throne of grace and say, Abba, Father, Heavenly Father, Lord God, creator of the universe, creator and redeemer, we come to you with our hearts bowed, asking you for forgiveness of all of our sins. For a life that has not been fully honest, a life that has not always been glorifying or honoring to you, we ask you to forgive us. We confess that we believe Jesus is our Lord and we receive him as our Savior. Thank you that he has taken upon himself the punishment that we all deserved. And Father, we pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit, your comforter, to fill us with new hope and newness of life, with the assurance of your peace in these troubled, evil days, your peace that passes all understanding, and that you and you alone will help us to be overcomers. And with that attitude, let's start the day. And I pray that through the Spirit of the living God, every day of our lives from this point on, we are going to be sincerely grateful and full of overcoming faith. I'm so glad that when I'm weak, the Lord is strong for me. Amen. In the meantime, please explore our website, exploits.tv, which has news and articles about Israel and current and end-time events relating to the church. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer you a library of videos 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we will accomplish exploits. That means we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Now, I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, or you can contact us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Today, I'm going to leave you with verses from Psalm 18, verses that reflect what we call poetic justice. Poetic justice, the idea that there is deserved retribution for one's actions. And that pervades all of the Bible. 
That psalm says, with the holy, thou shalt be holy. And with the perfect man, thou shalt be perfect. With the pure, thou shalt be pure. And with the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. For thou shalt save the people that are in adversity and shalt bring down the looks, the high looks of the proud. Thou shalt also light my candle. The Lord my God shall make my darkness to be light. Amen. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Darg. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus.